This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So we're talking about thinking God's thoughts. We're talking about operating according to God's ways. And the specific area that we're talking about in this regard is financial freedom. We're talking about finances. We're talking about what does God say about money. If the Bible tells us anything about money, then it means God wants us to think in line with what He said about money. And if we do, if we think His thoughts about money and operate according to what His Word says to do about money, then it will accomplish what God intends and it will prosper in the thing whereto He sent it. In other words, that's how He brings prosperity to you and me. Now, one example that we can give just real quickly, most everybody knows this. Luke 6.38 says, Give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall be given to your bosom. There is a natural inclination, especially in hard economic times, there is a natural inclination to think there is not enough. So what do people do when they think there's not enough? They don't give. So to think God's thoughts, instead of thinking man's thoughts, better hoard up everything you've got. Better hold back. One of the things we hear all these politicians talking about where the economy is concerned is one reason there's no jobs is because businesses are holding back. Now, rightly or wrongly, they may be right in doing so. I'm not saying that anybody's wrong about it. But the, the attitude is, the idea is, banks are doing the same thing. Banks won't loan money. Why? Because they're thinking things are going to get worse. So what happens when man thinks things are going to get worse? He hunkers down. Yet the Bible says, given it will be given unto you. Two different schools of thought there, isn't there? Which one are we going to go by? Well, we got a choice. We can either think like the world thinks or we can think like God thinks. Bible says in Proverbs that the thought of the diligent always lend to abundance. In other words, the diligent person always thinks of plenty. But to the person that's hasty, the person that's, that's undisciplined... He only thinks of what he doesn't have. Boy, there's a good example of two different uh, opposing schools of thought. If you're diligent in the things of God, if you're diligent in the Word, you'll always think that there's plenty. No matter what the economy is doing. Because your source is not what the economy produces. Your source is God. So we've got a choice. Are we going to do what the Bible says? Are we going to think what the Bible tells us to think? Or are we going to think according to what the Word says? Now what does the Bible tell us about some of God's thoughts. I want you to look with me to a couple of verses of Scripture. Look with me over to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. How many of you want to be good in the sight of God? You really mean that? You need to be careful about answering questions when I'm having you turn to Scriptures. Because you're committing yourself to something you may not be aware of. It's what we all want, though, isn't it? We all want to be good in the sight of God. We all want to do the right thing. We all want things to work out for us. But we want to do the will of God for our lives. Notice what it says in Proverbs chapter 13. Um, well, let's start in about verse 18. It says, Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuses instruction. Again, the path to poverty is real clear. Just refuse to hear what the Bible says. You'll get there. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuses instruction, but he that regards reproof shall be honored. Well, honored has to be the opposite of poverty and shame then, doesn't it? So when the Bible talks about God honoring you, 
It's talking about God prospering you. It's talking about God lifting you up. At least it is here. So it says, The desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination to fools to depart from evil. You ever notice how sinners will make every excuse in the world to keep sinning? Some of them will use the Bible. Verse 20, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. That's why young people, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Verse 21, Evil pursues sinners... But to the righteous, good shall be repaid. But to the righteous, good shall be repaid. Well, what does God mean when he says good? Verse 22. A good man leads an inheritance to his children's children. Notice it doesn't say a good man is well remembered by his grandkids. Now, we would all hope that to be the case for us, wouldn't we? I want my grandkids to think good of me, if I ever have any. Jesus tarries. Better not say the rest of that. (laughs) But notice what God identifies as good. The Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That means unless I have enough to leave to my grandkids, I'm not good in the sight of God. I remember, uh, you remember Joe McGee? Joe's been with us uh, several times. It's been a long time since he's been here. Joe's the funniest guy in the world. Just, I mean, he, he just... Look at you and make you laugh, you know. Joe tells a story about his granddaddy. When he was a young boy, his granddaddy, they, they grew up in the south somewhere, and his granddaddy died. And, and it was a small town, small community, really. It wasn't even just kind of a farming town, farming area. And he said they had, to, they had a funeral, and back then funerals were everybody brought um, food and fried chicken and potato salad and all that kind of stuff to the, to the church house, and they all had a big spread afterwards. And uh, so after the funeral was over and everybody stayed around and, and ate dinner on the grounds and, and that kind of stuff, one of the men of the church or friend of the family, whoever it was, stood up and said, Now, old Jim, whatever his name was, I don't remember what his name is, said, old Jim uh, died without leaving anything. And, and his dear sister Mary over here, his wife, doesn't even have the money to bury him. So we're going to pass around the hat. And and if you can help the family, they'd really appreciate it and that kind of stuff. And Joe said he remembered just as a, as a young kid, just seven or eight years old, whatever it was, that they're passing around a hat to get enough money to bury, you know, Grandpa Jim. Now, he said, my granddaddy was the best guy in the world. He said, everybody loved my granddaddy. He said, and as a result, you know, there was some money that came in. It was a farming community, like I said, so it wasn't a lot of money that anybody really had at the time. But... Uh, it, but, you know, people gave, and so they got Grandpa buried in an old pauper's grave or whatever, you know, just didn't cost much, they didn't have much, whatever. But anyway, they did what they could. He said, but everybody in town loved Grandpa Jim. He said everybody would talk about, you know, oh, wasn't he such a fine guy and all that kind of stuff. And, he, and Joe tells this story. He said, but as far as God's concerned, my, my grandfather was not a good man. Now, that's sure a different way to think about things, isn't it? And some people get upset with this, and I get that, I understand. But I didn't write this verse. I just read it. I just accepted it to be part of what God said to be true. Now, does it mean that God was against Grandpa Jim? No, doesn't mean that at all. Does it mean Grandpa Jim didn't get a good place in heaven, didn't get a good seat when he got there? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means he didn't walk in what God intended for him to have while he was here. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. 
A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now, folks, let me, let me point something out that I would hope to be obvious, but I never take anything for granted anymore. If God holds you responsible for leaving an inheritance to your grandkids and won't help you do it, then he's unfair and unjust. In other words, if there were not promises of abundance that come as a result, if there were not spiritual laws in play that did not result in you prospering and having enough to leave to your grandkids, then God would be unjust to require it. Is that not true? Now look at the rest of the verse. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. We see the context that he's talking about, don't we? The context is the righteous shall be honored. Poverty and shame shall be the, the, the result of the sinner, but the righteous shall be honored. Now that's the context of what we're talking about here. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Now folks, notice how the Bible connects those two things. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. There's got to be a connection for God to put them together. That says to me that the wealth of the world is available to me to leave to my kids and their kids. Now, you may not want to accept that. Okay. According to your faith, be it unto you. That's what Jesus said to people over and over again. Now, we know that Isaiah 53 says that Jesus shed the same blood for forgiveness of sins as he shed for healing and as he shed for material provision. Bible says so. You don't have to receive it all. There's a spiritual component there and there are natural components there. There is the promise of the Spirit through faith, Galatians 3.14, and there are the natural components that make up the blessing of Abraham, Galatians 3.14. You don't have to take them all. They all belong to you if you make Jesus Lord of your life. But you don't have to take them. It's up to you. Now turn with me over to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I know your Bible just falls right open to Ecclesiastes. That's everybody's favorite reading. And there's some things in Ecclesiastes that are a little bit difficult to understand. Uh, A real quick synopsis of the book is this is Solomon after he has turned away from the Lord and operated in some of the foolishness that he knew better than to do and then comes back to himself. And he talks about all the stupid stuff that he did when he was trying to enjoy life just from a natural standpoint and, and that kind of thing. So there's a lot about Ecclesiastes, even things in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, that we could have discussions about, was he, was he right in his thinking? Was he, was he operating you know, in wisdom when he did this or said this or whatever? All those things are, are irrelevant to our, uh, the point that we're going to make this morning. Let's start reading in um, verse 24. He says, There is nothing better for a man than he should eat and drink, and that he should in, make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw in that it was from the hand of God. Now, he's just lamented earlier in the chapter about raising and and gathering up riches for himself. He said, nobody gathered up more riches than I I did. And after doing all that, how do I know the guy that's going to follow me as king is even going to be a righteous person? So he's talking about the foolishness of what he put some of his efforts in, in gathering money and and resources and, and all the stuff that he gathered up. So it sounds like there was a time, at least, that he let his heart get into the wrong things. 
which was the warning of the Old Testament that, uh, that Moses made to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, don't get lifted up in pride and think you brought the blessing to yourself. Looks to me like this is exactly what uh, Solomon did, at least for a period of time. But now he comes back to a place of wisdom and he says, I've come to realize from God that there's nothing better for a man that he should eat and drink and that he should enjoy or make his soul enjoy good in his labor. In other words, enjoy what his hand produces. God wants you to, to prosper. He wants you to, to be prosperous so that you can enjoy life. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. See, religion will give you the idea that God wants you to, 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 to not enjoy things, that he wants things to be hard on you down here on the earth. Well, nothing to be further than the, from the truth, folks. Jesus enjoyed life. The Bible says that kids wanted to be around Jesus. That tells you right away he's not a normal preacher. <laughs> I mean that really very sincerely. You ought to see some of the kids run from me around here. Their parents say, oh, say hello to Pastor Mike. <laughs> and I'm trying to be friendly. I'm trying to, you know, do stuff to my... Jesus had kids that wanted to be around him. Sinners wanted to be around him. That tells you he wasn't a normal preacher. He enjoyed life. I see Jesus as a happy guy. Jesus wasn't some austere, you know, looking around, looking for who he can be mad at today kind of stuff. Jesus had to have enjoyed life more than anybody. You think Jesus didn't enjoy raising people from the dead? You can't tell me that Jesus didn't enjoy doing miracles on the Sabbath day in front of the religious people. When they're standing in church saying, healing's not right for the Sabbath day, Jesus said, oh yeah, watch this. You can't tell me that he didn't enjoy that. Man, I would have. They'd have killed me after the first year. I wouldn't have made it to year three. I'd have messed with these people so bad. Jesus enjoyed life. He wants you to enjoy life. Join us for our Christmas Eve candlelight service with Pastor Mike Webb. Christmas is a special time here at Foothill Family Church. I want to especially invite you to our Christmas Eve candlelight service. We have a chance to celebrate when Jesus came to the earth to be our Savior. Come join us this Christmas Eve. Again, that's the Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 p.m. December 24th at Foothill Family Church. For more information, go to www.mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Jesus enjoyed life. He wants you to enjoy life. Solomon's come to that realization. Now, the comparison he's making is, instead of putting all of his efforts into seeing how much he can get, God wants you to enjoy life where you are. Verse 25, for who can eat or who else can hasten here unto more than I? He's, in other words, he's saying, I should understand this better than anybody. The Amplified adds the phrase, apart from him. In other words, he's saying, who's going to have a better opportunity to see from my point of view than me, who, have, who was the richest king in the world? And I've come to realize that God wants you to enjoy rather than pursue having more stuff. Now, don't get me wrong, folks. I'm not saying God doesn't want to bless you with more. I'm saying God wants you to be blessed with more as you seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. He wants the blessings to overtake you rather than you pursue the blessings. Apparently, that's what Solomon got to doing, is pursuing the blessings. 
Verse 26, for God is given to a man that is good in his sight. Bible keeps talking about people being good in God's sight. God is given to a man that is good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he gives travail. Now, the word travail here is the word labor. Most other translations, if you look up this verse in other translations, you'll find that it's saying he gives work or employment. It's talking about labor. It's talking about the work of your hands. It says God gives to the sinner work or labor as opposed to enjoying life. The way of the sinner is hard, folks. And he'll eat the fruit of his own way. And, and unfortunately, that's the only way some people ever turn back to God, is they get what they've been working for. How many rich people do we see that they, they sought after fame, they sought after fortune, and then they get there and they say, is this it? Well, what are they doing? They're eating the fruit of their own way. But the flip side of that is the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. In other words, God wants you to enjoy the blessings he gives you. Not work like a dog like the world does. And then say, what was it worth? Solomon has had the unique uh, uh, experience of operating in wisdom to be blessed God's way. And then to turn to go to the world's way to try to pursue things and who he can be in the world. And then came to himself and realized God's way is better. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. So he says, God gives to a man that is good in his sight wisdom. And knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he gives work or employment. For what purpose? To gather and to heap up. That he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. Now what is vanity and vexation of spirit? The way the sinner operates. Because Solomon has just related to the sinner's position. He said, I gathered up everything in the world for myself. And how do I even know the guy coming after me is going to be any good? Clearly, at this point in time, God hadn't told him anything about the, na- the state of the nature of Israel. And you may remember that Solomon's son, Jehoram, is the one that causes the, two, the, the uh, nation of Israel to be divided into the two kingdoms. Things didn't work out very well after Solomon came, left the scene. So notice what he says. He says that God's plan is for people that pursue earthly wealth as well as everything else in the world, would have employment. They would have results that they might gather their stuff to give to the person that's good in the, right, good in the sight of God. Isn't that the same way as saying the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just? Okay, here's my question then. For when? The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. We could use other scriptures that don't say it as clearly, but but bring out the same point. That God's plan is for the wealth of the sinner to come into the hands of the righteous. But when? What do we know about about God's timeline? We know that there's coming a day, I believe that day is soon, there's coming a day when the church will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. The Bible says that we'll receive our redeemed bodies. The Bible says we will then leave the earth and go back to heaven with Jesus, and that's when the tribulation period starts. So there are no just people left on the earth in the tribulation. So it can't be for the tribulation period. The wealth of the sinner can't be laid up for the tribulation, because there's no just here. Apparently on the first day of the tribulation, 144,000 Jewish evangelists get saved... 
But the Bible talks about those, those that come out of the tribulation period and get saved during that seven-year period. They have their robes washed. They don't even talk about the same kind of righteousness as us. Now, to what degree that distinction is made in heaven after we're all together, I don't know. But the Bible clearly makes a distinction between those of us that accepted Jesus during the church age as opposed to those that accept him during the tribulation. So the wealth of the wicked laid up for the sinner, or I'm sorry, the wealth of the wealth of the wicked laid up for the just can't be for the tribulation period. Well, after that, after the tribulation period, it tells us that the millennium begins. The thousand year reign of Jesus here on the earth, where he rules with a rod of iron. Now, ruling with a rod of iron means not everybody is going to be happy that he's ruling over them. Which means it's not just Christians. The nations that are not affected by the Antichrist and don't receive the mark of the beast and all that kind of stuff, and there'll be lots of people, lots of nations. See, most everybody will teach tribulation uh, from the period, teach about the tribulation period from the uh, standpoint, the point of view that the whole earth is dominated by Satan. That's not true, folks. The tribulation period, the book of Revelation really tells you about Satan trying to do his best with the church out of the way and God slapping him down at every turn. He's a complete and total failure. With the church out of the way, he's a complete and total failure. And the Bible says the church is the only thing that keeps him from starting that now. So what about the millennium? The millennium says that there'll be nations, whole people groups, whole races of people, countries, that will not have been affected by the mark of the beast. And so they will be ruled over by Jesus and you and me with a rod of iron. In other words, Jesus will be daring people to step out of line. Well, what do we need the wealth of the world for then? The Bible says that the people of God will be ruling and reigning with Jesus. You don't need the world's wealth for the, for the millennium. What are you going to do with it? There'll be no need for it. You'll be ruling and reigning with him. After the millennium, it tells us about the new heaven and the new earth may, being made. New heaven and new earth means not the wealth from the old earth that, that hangs on or carries over. So it can't be after the millennium period. So if the wealth of the winter, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just, if that's not for the tribulation, and it's not for the millennium, and it's not for the new age, new heaven and the new earth, when is it got to be for? It's got to be for the church age. Because there is no other time period between us and then. It's got to be for the church age. Now what would God want us to do with that wealth of the world? Folks, there's only one purpose for the church prospering and getting a hold of whatever the, the wealth of the world is for our benefit. I'm not going to have it stored up for when I come back for the millennium. Are you? I mean, we're in the same boat as, as, uh, as Solomon here. What do we need the wealth of the world for? I've only got one purpose, and that is to reach people before Jesus comes back. We'll have no need of it after that point in time. My retirement account will be of no value to anybody when Jesus comes back. Folks, Jesus is my retirement account. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't plan for the future. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So there's a balance in all this stuff. See, some people will go to extremes. They'll say, well, Jesus is coming back before I'm going to die, so I'm not going to plan for the future. Well, I've got a brain, so I am planning for the future. 
Yeah, but what happens if Jesus comes back? Then I'll say, Jesus, I did what you told me to do. I left an inheritance for my children's children. Let me tell you something real quick. Something is coming to the body of Christ in three years that's going to change everything. Now, that's what I know. Here's what I think. Please notice that I made a distinction between those two. There are things that I know and there are things that I think. You judge what I think and what I tell you I know. That's your job as a Christian. I know that I know. I think it means certain things. Here's what I know. I know that in three years something is coming to the body of Christ that will be a game changer. I think that has something to do with the wealth of the wicked. But here's something else I think. And I I really can go a little further than think. I can't say that I know this, but I've got a witness about this. How about that? I've got a witness about this. In the next three years, you're going to see things change, start changing. There will be changes that are made that, um, that get things in place. You're going to see some people go home. We're going to have family members go home that are holding us back from doing what God wants us to do. You're going to see a, a shuffling of some of the people that are in places of influence in the body of Christ. I don't think it's going to be an obvious thing. But I think at the end of three years we're going to look back and we're going to say, wow, look at how things have changed. Look how things have changed. I know. And the Bible's real clear on this. The Bible connects the silver and the gold with the glorious church. There's got to be something that changes there. That's why I think it has something to do with the wealth of the wicked being laid up with the just. But I can't say that for certain. But I do know this. I know that Jesus said concerning the last days, Jesus said when the Son of Man returns, he asked a question. He said, when the Son of Man returns, shall he find faith on the earth? That's got to be something more than the Christianity that we see today. Because remember, Jesus complained, as did the prophets, about people that said that they loved God, but their heart was really far from them. In other words, they made the right statements, the right religious-sounding things about God, but they lived their lives, they thought the wrong thoughts, they acted contrary to what God's ways are, in such a manner that God considered them not to really be His. I think you got a lot of the church doing the same thing today. Anyway, it all comes down to Jesus coming back for a glorious church. The church is going to be glorious because people in the body of Christ think God's thoughts and do what God's Word says to do. That's the only thing that makes us glorious, folks. And that's the only thing God ever confirms is His Word with signs following. You watch the next three years. Next three years are really, really important. Really important. At the end of three years, we're going to shake our heads and say, wow, who knew things could change like this in such a short period of time? Mark it down. Mark it down. We live in uncertain times. I believe that these are the last days. But God still has a plan for you and me and all of the rest of his children. I want to challenge you to believe God and to believe his word to be true in the area of finances. 
Thanks for watching today and come visit us at Foothill Family Church. Join us for our Christmas Eve candlelight service with Pastor Mike Webb. Christmas is a special time here at Foothill Family Church. I want to especially invite you to our Christmas Eve candlelight service. We have a chance to celebrate when Jesus came to the earth to be our Savior. Come join us this Christmas Eve. Again, that's the Christmas Eve candlelight service at 6 p.m. December 24th at Foothill Family Church. For more information, go to www.mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.